Hello and welcome to another episode of Dev Dive. This month we are talking about urban development and today we are going to talk about mobility. I'm your host Anushna Jha and with me is my co-host Maryn Shah. Hi Maryn. Hi Anushna, hi everyone. Today we have Simon Jeffrey with us. He works as a policy officer at Center for Cities uh, London. Uh, Simon is a policy lead on devolution and transport and he focuses on the introduction and development of metro mayors and how cities can improve urban mobility. Uh, hi Simon, thank you so much for giving us your time today. Well, thanks very much for having me. Simon, tell us a little bit about your growing up years and your uh, journey that led you to work in this space. Yeah, sure. It was very much an unintentional journey. I don't think I was anyone who had uh, great clear-sighted plans from an early age to end up doing what I'm doing, which I think kind of is, mm-hmm. is one of the reasons that I've gotten to where I am, which was, you know, left university, had uh, studied politics, always interested um, in the process and places and people and very generalist probably too generalist uh, and started working for sort of political organization doing like the events for them switched over to doing the events at center for cities but managed to uh, have such a intense interest in the policy area and the work that they were doing and uh, managed to persuade my colleagues that actually I was able to bring something to bear on the policy side and, and push something uh, forward in a, in, in a good way at center for cities on thinking about especially on transport policy that they you know took me on as uh, someone in the in the research team so you know the academic wow. background is not based on this stuff uh, in, intensely but it's you know a desire to really get in involved in as many different bits of policy and how everything kind of works together is was always my interest so you know there wasn't ever a, a topic of conversation that I wasn't interested in I think being able to be a bit of a generalist and and really care about the actual political process of how we can identify what the problems of a city are whether it's on housing or transport you know we can come up with a solution but I'm really interested in well what have we tried in the past and what do we think places are actually going to be interested in doing? You know, what are the political constraints on doing the obvious solution that no one ever seems to do? So, you know, that's kind of how I got to, to where I am and just being super interested in the topic area. Uh, and then luckily over time that clearly rubbed off and meant that people I work with were convinced that I'd be able to, to do that role. Um, <laughs> well despite not having that background wow that's amazing that's very interesting yeah um uh, so simon tell us a little about your work profile at center for cities um so as a policy officer i i kind of generally kind of get involved in what we're doing across different reports if it's got a policy element which all of our reports should do you know recommendations here's here's what we think an issue with skills in hull is well what's the response uh, i'll try and get involved in that but i do lead on the devolution and, and transport elements of the work and the devolution part's a big bit in the uk i don't know if you know but we have these local government is quite weak and f- uh, fragmented and there's been a lot of work to try and make city regions more like london so you know L- greater london has a mayor and we're going to do that for kind of greater manchester greater leeds greater birmingham and trying to figure through you know what the allocation of powers and funding between central government which is very powerful in the uk and local government which is you know, very weak what should we be doing about putting the powers in the right place whether it's on buses you know moving those down from central government to, to city region government to get the best outcomes you know because having everything centralized can be really good for some stuff you know look at the vaccination program in the uk um but actually for, for other policies think about transport it's really a bit of a problem that decisions about improving the bus network can't really be taken by the people that are in, you know, elected to, to run places like Greater Manchester. So that's the devolution aspect. And you can see how transport you know, fits within that uh, clearly. There's lots of powers that aren't held at the local level for improving really local things like getting the trains, trams and buses uh, moving in, in local areas. So those are the, the main areas that I work on. Right. So, so how do you find a balance between um, the local government and the central government? Uh, you said... Um... Yeah, so th- 
is in terms of what what are the consequences of uh, policy at different levels so you know on air quality the consequences of having bad local transport policy that means you have lots of congestion you don't really have any pressure to reduce the dirtiest vehicles from driving in that area you know the consequences are local you know it's people that live or you know are walking next to roads that get uh, affected by it and you know at a lot of the time the policy response should be at that scale whereas you think about um, it would be environmental policy obviously the consequences are global it might not be the UK that's hit hardest by uh, climate change mm. but actually again the policy response might be better off at the city region level I think that's something that we're looking at and if you want to reduce the amount of energy and carbon being used to heat our homes to help us get around and that's probably very very closely linked to where are we building homes at what density how are we asking people to travel around and most of those journeys are at the city scale so figuring out which policies are situated uh, where best you know i don't think national government should have a big say over what goes on in your local park then again i think some policies we should have at a national scale if you think about the welfare system it's really good to have as wide a pool of insurance uh, from across the country for people who find themselves out of work uh, to be supported rather than you know, leaving that to a local area where you know if you're in a poorer city well you've probably got more demands on your services and you've got less ability to, to fund that so that shouldn't be done at the local level so you know there aren't totally hard and fast lines if you look across Europe you'll see different powers sitting at different levels um, but trying to figure out what is the best level uh, for particular decisions and particular policy areas to be made you know it's important we want really strong cities and not that it's not always going to be by making cities more powerful uh, you know actually we can have really good urban policy directed from uh, the center on some stuff right uh, simon going back uh, a little because we are doing this episode on urban mobility how is it related to the entire economy of any urban landscape you know maybe a city and also the governance of a city. So how is it connected? How is it important? It's crucial. Urban mobility is what Absolutely. makes our cities what they are. You know, it was the it was the you know invention of railways, a technological advance that meant that London could go from being all these cities around the world, whether it was sort of uh, you know Beijing for a long time, but go from kind of hitting or ancient Rome, hitting a ceiling of about a million people, like the biggest centres of the biggest empires. London, the Industrial Revolution, part of that steel, the railways allowed. The amount of land and the, the space that a city could take up to really grow beyond anything that had ever happened before because you'd be able to get into the city center to do a job uh, within an hour you know the the day-to-day -day size of a city you know in terms of the time it takes to get around urban mobility changes that it allows it allows you to shrink and expand space. That's how important it is. And the modern city would have you know, collapsed under the weight of its own congestion or the tiredness of its uh, residents' legs if we didn't have strong transport networks uh, that radiated out from the centre a lot of the time and allowed us to specialise our city centres as places of uh, work. Because previously, you know, people used to look largely, in many cases, live very close to work or even above work. And you saw with the creation of the railways in London, the actual population of the city centre plummeted, but the amount of jobs grew because you had this sorting of economic activity in the centre. So you get the benefits of lots of businesses, lots more people able to access those businesses, more people that they can hire. And they had more people had more space for homes further out. So actually there was better quality housing because people could go where the land was cheaper, buy more space, and you could good transport accessibility, new technology that unlocked 
helped that, meant that people could A, get better jobs, better economy, B, buy more of the sort of things that matter to you, you know, have more space, maybe even have a garden. You know, start off the middle classes, but um, worked its way down slowly. We're not really doing a lot more technology on uh, on, the, on the transport side, maybe electric scooters at the moment, uh, but you know, the, the original impulse for our big cities as we know them there has been fundamentally shaped by our ability through technology to transport people in and out. So, you know, the modern city is very much uh, created by the, the modern transport system. Absolutely. And then how do you work towards making these streams of transport and mobility inclusive across economic classes, across people who uh, may have any sorts of disability? So how do you make sure that it is inclusive and it is for all? You make them good. I think that's the main way you do it. You look at London, compared to the rest of the country where you know, buses is very much a divide. You know, people that catch the bus are, you know, either school kids, old people or people in you know lower paid jobs that's not always true but you know generally and more so compared to london where you know lots of my colleagues and and i and people in uh, higher wage jobs commute by bus you know it's just it's the way of getting around it's a good system you can rely on it and if you want something to be uh, comprehensive and used by people across uh, you know all, all income groups then it has to be good i think that's that's the way you you do it and in london especially part of that is about pushing back on car use and car use is broadly uh, associated with income car ownership is at least and if you want people to use public transport you kind of have mm -hmm. to a little bit take away people from using public uh, private transport which reduces congestion a bit makes buses better brings in a bit of money to invest in the system you have to really prioritize public transport quality the price and that's i think how you you'll, you'll get it you know it has to, if it's the best option for someone to get from a to b that's the way to do it you know if you can't force someone who's got a better way of getting somewhere than public transport to get on public transport. I mean, why would you? It's, it's meant to solve a problem. If it doesn't solve a problem, uh, then the people who can opt out will opt out. Right. So, Simon, what is the impact of COVID on jobs and wages? Um, if I ask you, um, what's the analysis that uh, you guys at the Centre for Cities uh, have so far? Well, on jobs, the, the major impact has been on hospitality and mm. you know, that's been shut down by government. That's government's choice to shut down those sectors. But luckily, the furlough scheme means that those people who are doing those jobs have had support from government to, to cover their wages. But we have seen unemployment rise in some parts of the country um, and especially in, in, in our inner cities. Because as COVID has required the lockdown of hospitality, we've also said that if you can work from home, which is what a lot of city centre jobs are, uh, you know, knowledge jobs that can be done from home, which is sort of a bit of a, a paradox that people cram onto public transport every day to do the jobs that they could theoretically do from home because there are many benefits to being face to face. The jobs that kind of support those, you know, of people living in inner suburbs a lot of the time, uh, getting the buses to work, whether that's uh, making sure that those offices are clean and safe, uh, and, you know, and looked after, whether that's people, you know, working uh, in shops uh, along around those city centres. We have seen, I think, bigger increases in unemployment in those areas areas uh, in the rest of the country. But on, on wages, I don't think we've seen too much uh, evidence on, on any significant changes on that. But we'll, we'll see. It's an, it's, a, it's an impact on the economy unlike any other. It's a, it's a, it's a big supply constraint as well as a demand uh, constraint. Absolutely. We're saying these, these businesses can't open. A lot of people are saving up quite a bit of money. And who knows, when things reopen, it could, and I think there's a lot of thought that the 
potentially will. There'll be a strong snapback in activity, which we saw in kind of August, July, August, September last year. Mm -hmm. And that we're kind of seeing in the US at the moment, that, uh, which is very different to the standard recession where it's a real uh, demand shock and people are paying off debt and they're worried about um, their ability to spend. This does seem quite different. So we don't know, you know, it, mm -hmm. it will be unlike others. And Simon, what is then the impact of COVID also on transport and mobility? Because people have been forced to stay in a lot of options to work remotely have opened up and a lot of uh, people are now planning to continue to do that a lot of companies are uh, planning to continue to allow people to work from home so how has this impacted the mobility sector and going forward what what do you think are the changes uh, or the transitions that the sector will witness yeah it's going to have an impact I think the, we wait to see how big it is on work mm -hmm. from home. There will still be, you know, hybrid is the yes. maybe three days a week working, two days at home or four and one might become more common. It was already happening and you saw businesses kind of providing much greater flexibility and people taking them, them up on it. But I think we will, we will if there is any shock to uh, use of stick to public transport on this. But if, if you see a re reduction in the use of public transport, then these systems already needed subsidy. You know, I think London's kind of the only system that pretty much paid off its own day-to-day uh, -day operating costs of, of any major system in Europe at least uh, we're going to need a way a new way of funding that because it's vital we can't reduce these public transport services because otherwise people can't get around they solve problems in cities that if they don't operate people are kind of stuck and then what's the point of being in a city you're just in a very crowded place where you can't get to other things you know you need that uh, transport system to be there to ensure that being in a city means you are able to access jobs education uh, friends family leisure activities but we, potentially there might be a little bit of a decrease in, in usage some reductions in revenues and that means we're gonna to have to find money from somewhere else and I think that is where in London Sadiq Khan is, is looking at it on, on a boundary review so if you want to come into the city from just outside you might have to pay a bit of money if you're driving uh, but then I think you'd have to do it slightly even further in the city we've got a congestion charge in the center but something in between um, around this ultra low emission zone that we're creating to charge vehicles so that it's not just underground passengers who are subsidizing bus passengers we have people on the roads who are subsidizing uh, people who are catching the tube and on the bus which you know they're doing a good thing by getting these highly efficient modes of transport uh, so that's going to be a big change that's going to be unpopular that's making drivers pay extra is always going to go down like the cold bucket of sick so it's going to be difficult and the, the best cities are going to be the ones that grip that issue quickly uh try and rip it off like a plaster as quickly as possible so that clear benefits that will come within you know two or three years can be seen before before the next election but yeah it's, it is a worry with if covid does have these uh reductions on demand and our pretty crucial transport systems if there's no way to fill in that gap on revenue, you could really risk getting to a negative spiral. And if we're trying to get to net zero, we're trying to improve air quality, that's going backwards. That's more people in cars, more congestion, more worse air quality. Um, and places need to show some leadership now to, to avoid that. Right. So, um, Simon, would you like to share some learnings or some tips for, for people out there who would like to work in this space? Well, I feel very lucky, so I don't know how 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 much how useful the advice is to be lucky, uh, you know, and on this stuff. But be, be have have broad interests is my particular uh, experience. I don't know how uh, transferable that is. You know, figuring out how things link together you know, beyond a very you know a narrow interest is really helpful. I think, and you know, you can really see how uh, things across different sectors uh, impact on one another. And kind of having an idea of uh, what's going on more widely really enriches any specialist area you have. So uh, that's a good way. I, I would say on a very narrow basis, having Twitter and a really good Twitter feed, thinking about who you follow, <laughs> it's it's an amazing resource. I think if you're involved in policy, 
uh, and you want to get involved in debates there's fantastic people it's i generally find it quite a positive place i think you can you can easily screen out uh, i think i need to be more active than on twitter <laughs> yeah. that's it's, some, it's, and that's some really good advice coming from somebody who's been learning hands-on yeah yeah there's some super smart people out there it's great to be able to watch these conversations happen in real time um mm-hmm. again from people from different uh, areas of policy from different expertise and just watch that sort of stuff happening in real time it's, it's great and I'd, I'd recommend it to to anyone it's it's absolutely at the bleeding edge but there's some there is some bad so there's some rubbish stuff to try and avoid you can get uh, pulled into some serious time wasting there is some oh, really I know. there's some serious valuable <laughs> stuff in there as well being social media in a different light much needed in <laughs> the times that we live in so that's some yes. hope. that is amazing and uh, simon going forward uh, is there a passion project that you want to work on um well uh, the thing i'm most interested in at the moment is at this particular moment is really thinking about how uh, our benefit system could be improved not just to you know obviously number one to ensure mm-hmm. people have a fantastic safety net and that you know hard luck but i'd say that there's, there's a big potential for economic growth in some of our more depressed places to be significantly improved by giving poorer people more money and not just some kind of airy fairy view that that's a good thing but i think you know, that there's, there's some good evidence coming that that is a good way and it's kind of a, a middle ground between universal benefit um and uh, not doing anything that there's a potential uk's got a good system in place called universal credit it's not great in what it does it, in what it does but how it does it is you know, kind of effective and i think there's a the idea catches hold i think there's there's real potential for doing something about places that we've really struggled with that i think could be i hate the word because it's overused but genuinely transformational uh, in terms of their prospects in terms of you know, the quality of life in those places so that's that's kind of my passion project at, at the moment which is not quite that's very much on the sort of the policy officer side rather than the, the transport and devolution side that i'm most interested but but that's that's at this very moment these these things change all the time yes they do uh, that's amazing and it's been uh, really good knowing about the sector from you and which is what is the idea of dev dive which is to understand the sector through the lens of people who are working in it so thank you so much simon for speaking to us at dev dive and sharing your insights and experiences and we wish you all the best thanks very much yes thank you so much thanks once again and and we wish you all the best and that's it for today everyone uh, please stay safe and uh, have fun and enjoy the weekend bye